What time is it? For many, that question is asked perhaps multitudes of times per day, especially if you have young children. You hear that question frequently, perhaps in travels. Dad, Mom, are we there yet? What time is it? Especially before they learn to tell time using a watch, before they appreciate what it means to actually speak of time, it's not unusual, and even sometimes thereafter, to hear that question asked many, many times. I chose that as the title of our lesson today. And as you may have noted in the reading, the actual word time, T-I-M-E, is mentioned many times in the Holy Word of God. We, of course, this morning will seek to understand that element a bit more deeply and to seek to answer that question before our lesson is finished. What time is it? In fact, by way of introduction, would you think with me of some of the following factors and ideas? We use the word time so very often. We employ it so frequently and many times maybe even not fully appreciating the full consequences of what that word involves. Maybe you and I often have made statements, I don't have time for that. Perhaps someone has asked us to do something or to involve ourselves in something. I don't have time. Perhaps students especially dread exactly that statement by maybe the teacher, professor, the time is up, time to turn the test in, especially for those timed exams that two hours or hour and a half seems to go by pretty quickly, I know. Perhaps on other occasions, the element of time helps, helps us appreciate many of us wear something we call a watch. The sale of timepieces in our land is, of course, millions and millions of dollars per year as we purchase watches and clocks and other timekeeping devices. Maybe enough has already been said that time is an intriguing and interesting subject. We build our schedules and our plans and our calendars around how much time do I have to accomplish a specified task or responsibility and thus to move on to another responsibility or task. Oh, the greatness and the preciousness of time. It nonetheless is still true that there is a great deal of misunderstanding about what time is and what it involves. One of the first things in our lesson today will try to dispatch some of those ideas. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say something about how that even scientists have much to say about time. Albert Einstein, in fact, wrote much about the ultimate character of it. That's a bit mathematical for our discussion, of course, in a setting like this one. But even scientists still puzzle and ponder and mathematically analyze the structure and concept of time. I would submit to you that it is to the Word of God we might go to seek answers about what time is, the ultimate character of it, and what it allows and what it permits. That we, of course, shall do this morning. I'd be quick to say that the Bible does not answer all the questions you and I may have about time, but it does answer many of them. And thus, without further ado, what time is it? Would you consider with me first a definition for time? Can we appreciate some of the statements about the Bible concerning its, its nature? As it's unfolded to us by both our common experience and by the very Word of God itself, time is merely an entity that is useful for the marking of the occurrence of events. It is no more than that. It is only a means by which the actual occurrence or the exaction of events are marked. Notice that a repetitive kind of idea must be involved if time is to be useful. 
the ancients used the overflooding of the Nile for that happened on a regular basis and by that event they could mark the passage in such a way that they could at least note the occurrence of events. Perhaps in the book of Amos and Micah we see the character of earthquakes and how that, that was useful for the marking of the occurrence of perhaps the crowning of a king or a specific major event in a national history. In a simpler fashion for us, think about a grandfather clock. As that pendulum undergoes that very repetitive and periodic motion, you and I know that's useful for the marking of these events. For it, as it undergoes that motion, it allows a specific amount, if you will, of time to pass, and it can be marked or notified. In a larger scale, the motion of our planet. As it revolves once on its axis and thus undergoes that motion involving what we call 24 hours, that's a day. Furthermore, as it makes one revolution about the sun, that's one year. We see then that time is merely this thing, this entity by which the occurrence of events are marked. To say all of that is to say that that alone makes us quickly appreciate something. By its very nature, time is not a force. It does not have any innate or inherent power to itself. Time can't create anything. It simply marks the occurrences of events that take place, that does pose an interesting thought, doesn't it? When we may often read instances or read articles or paragraphs in which someone may say time is the hero of the plot. No matter how impossible an event may appear, given enough time, it becomes probable. And if it's probable, it becomes virtually certain given enough time. That's nonsense. If the probability of an event is zero, regardless how much time elapses, it'll never occur. Doesn't that seem evident? And yet, that's the very element based on the theory of evolution, isn't it? That given enough time, it's bound to occur. Time doesn't create anything. It doesn't have any force. What we've seen so far helps us maybe see that it is to the Word of God we might go to learn more interestingly about time. If it marks these events, what events does it mark and who first originated its concept? It was God. In the opening book in all of God's Bible, we read, in fact, interestingly, in terms of the very days of creation, when in fact there God said, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Genesis 1, verse number 5. There was already this concept in terms of the actual amount of what we call time involved in that opening day of God's creative activity when he fashioned and made light. Later in verse 14 of that chapter, on the fourth day of his creative efforts, do we not remember that it says, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Already making note of these interesting intervals of time, the day, the year, the season, God placed the fingerprint of time in our universe. It is there again for the marking of events, and that may well be my life and yours. That may well be some other matter or which we have reference to on a daily basis. God originated this concept. It didn't happen by happenstance. It wasn't coincidentally a part of some big bang creation. 
for the scriptures inform us that God fashioned this universe with His handiwork and time is an element of what He fashioned. Notice how man has used the marking of events. This concept of time from the earliest of elements. We've noticed that ancient peoples, the Babylonians used astronomical pictures of the constellations to mark the passage of time. God said they could be used for that. These opening comments we've made today help us perhaps see that time can be used in a variety of ways in the Scriptures as well. I would point your attention to the following statement from the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes 8, verse number 5, A wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Each of us would desire to be wise, I'm sure. Each of us have within us a desire or a wish that we might be cataloged as wise. And yet there the wise man affirmed that those that are wise will discern both time and judgment. What does it mean to discern the time? What would that infer in force for you and me as we strove to be pleasing individuals in the sight of our Heavenly Father? To discern the time. Solomon, of course, being the inspired man he was, wrote that many, many centuries ago now. And you and I may quickly think the world is nothing like it was then. They had not the technological advances we've got. They had not the hectic and full-fledged life that we now seem to live. But friend, I would encourage you to appreciate that the very character and nature of humanity hasn't changed at all. Those same propensities and tendencies and sinful natures that existed then still exist. Maybe there's something we should appreciate this morning about discerning the time. And that's an element of what we shall use to answer our question, what time is it? In seeing some of those features, what does the word discern mean? The Hebrew word that is there listed for us and it's translated means to know. It has within it the concept of to appreciate, to understand. Now that does not mean that all of us must be scholars in terms of Einstein's theories of relativity that helps us understand time mathematically. That's not what Solomon meant. He's using the word time as a description of an epoch or an age or the conditions with respect to a given place and being. We each use that word time that way too. This time in which we live. We know it's the year 2007, and if the blessing of God be with us, shortly to be 2008. We know that this particular time is characteristic of this part in American history, and you and I are those that experience it. Certain things characterize it. Certain conditions are prevalent. Certain mindsets are ever so common. Can you and I discern the time? Make proper decisions with respect to the course of my life and yours. Use them to aid ourselves and family. Sure we can. And Solomon urged us by the command of God to do so. Let's consider some various usages of the word time then in the Bible. I think these will be very helpful to you and me. First, the word time can be used to refer to a physical thing. That is, the marking of some event that simply takes place in nature. In the Song of Solomon 2 verse 12, the time of the singing of birds, the context means it was referring to the springtime of the year, when things blossom and bloom and life seems to be so fervent and so lively. But notice also in Ezra chapter 10, the time of rain. 
We remember this past summer, we were each desirous of having more times of rain. But in the days of Esther, there was a time of much rain of which we're given information in that chapter of his book. I'd submit to you that for our discussion this morning, the far larger concept is the spiritual meaning of time. Not just the marking of perhaps a length of duration for my life or yours, but what about a spiritual usage of the word time? What time is it? This will be the greatest of our answers this morning. Spiritually, consider how the word time is used in a variety of ways. We may well begin in the Old Testament. In Psalm 37, verse 39, we read about a time of trouble. That time of trouble in which it is said there that the Lord shall deliver from a time of trouble. Notice also, in a very similar way, in Jeremiah 14, verse 8. Of course, this was much later in terms of actual history, but the same wording virtually is employed when the children of Israel were facing a very dire time of trouble, and their Savior was none other than the Lord. You and I still today face those intervals in our lives in which trouble seems to abound. Difficulties seem oppressive and persecution seems great. Things are not pleasant. Difficulties seem to surround us. To whom may you and I turn in a time of trouble? Do we seek the help of the government? Do we look for aid from our local officials? We might well hope that programs may suffice in a way, but... Is it not true that just as it was then, if we're to find the aid that's ultimately to be found, it must be found in the Savior, in the Lord God of heaven, who shall be the help not only of Israel and Judah, but ourselves as well in time of trouble. That only helps us to notice that we see in Luke 8, 13, the very words from the lips of our Savior himself. He was speaking a parable on that occasion, the parable of the sower the various soils as they were there described, as he arrived at his discussion of the stony ground soil, he said that these are they who receive the word with joy, and they maintain for a while, but in the time of temptation, they fall away. They have not enough earth. They have not enough stamina, deep-rootedness in which they can survive that time of temptation. Do you and I face times of temptation? Absolutely. Don't we know that well? There's an ever-present enemy and foe lurking just in sight. And that foe desires to overwhelm you and I with natures of temptation. There is a time of temptation. There is a time of the Lord's vengeance we read of in Jeremiah 51. On that occasion, we remember that the discussion involved Babylon. And God said, The time of my vengeance will be at hand when I shall meet the punishment upon Babylon for her evil and for her iniquity. May we never forget the time of the Lord's vengeance. And ultimately, is it not true, there shall come a day of reckoning, a day of judgment, in which His wrath and vengeance shall be poured forth upon all who have rebelled, who have refused to bow the knee of submission to Him. These times, you see, are such that the Word is being used to help us see their spiritual significance to discerning what is possible through the character of God. I've listed some more for your consideration. In Jeremiah 8.15, we read about the people of Judah who desired a time of health. Maybe some interesting background could be helpful. That was not meaning simply physical well-being in terms of not being sick, not being subject to injury or damage due to the physical body. 
Judah's desire at that time was for national healthfulness, a lively economy and prosperity. However, God said in the very next verse, they shall not have it. They shall not have it. Why not? Because they were a people steeped in iniquity and sin, and those kinds of things are God's blessing. And if we as a nation seek to pursue that which is not of God's pleasing, that which is of sinful and iniquitous character, we too shall soon see the ceasing of God's handiwork and His healthfulness upon us. Might we remember as we look forward to the coming year about how much we need to rely upon God. The appreciation that every good and perfect gift comes from Him, James 1.17. The understanding that it's only those that are righteous were such as described in Psalm 37.25. I have been young and I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Who was it that was not in need? It was the righteous. Who was it that was not hungry? It was the righteous. When we as a nation turn from God and forsake His way, we shall in fact find yet again that the time of the Lord's vengeance shall also be ours. But these times only lead us further to see that in Hebrews 4.16, isn't there a wonderful statement there about time that all of us have no doubt often relied upon? Let us therefore come boldly into His throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We each have found ourselves at some point in times of need where there was some entity, some particular character of life that we did not have but we needed. The Hebrew writer says that's when we turn in prayer to God and ask Him for it. Do we not read passages in which we're promised that He shall provide wisdom to those who ask Him? James 1 verses 3 to 5. That He shall provide every need of your life? Philippians 4.19. Oh, how the time of need should be addressed when you and I turn to our Heavenly Father. These times also extend on to the end of time as well. Who knows the time of Jesus' second coming? Though some may claim to know, the lips of our Savior utter these words in Mark 13, verses 32 and 33, Of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither is the Son, but the Father only. You and I then shouldn't be misled by those deceptive ones who think that they know when that shall be. And there have been many through the centuries. No person knows when that shall be. Or look at the lessons to be learned, for instance, in Galatians 4, verse 4, with regard to our Lord's first coming. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son. What did Paul say? The fullness of time. You see, it was the proper time, the correct time, the appropriate time when God, in fact, allowed the Son to be born to Mary, and as such, that actual character had arrived. These things perhaps hasten us to see the great responsibility that also rests upon us. So far, our discussions of time have been general in many ways. Times of vengeance, times of temptation, times of need, times of trouble. But what was it the Hebrew writer also stated to you and me individually in Hebrews 5, beginning in verse 12? For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become as such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. 
but strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Notice there is a time when maturity should be reached spiritually. He wasn't speaking of physical maturity, but spiritual. Are you and I as advanced in the Scriptures as God expects us to be at this point in time? Have we matured in the faith as much as we ought to have by this stature in our life? The Hebrew writer said, you ought to be ashamed. You ought by now to have been teachers, and yet you still have need that one teach you the most fundamental basic elements of God's Word. May that not be the description of you and me. May we, with excitement, look forward day by day to the maturation in the Word, to growing physically, but certainly more importantly, to growing spiritually, so that we would not be those that would be under that sentence to stated in Hebrews chapter 5. A time of maturity, a time of growing in faith. Maybe with regard to my life and yours, would it not be fair to, at least the final note on that screen, to say, we could quote the statement found in the psalmist, Lord, help me remember how short my time is. We studied in the Bible class this morning that Abraham lived to be 175 before he passed from this life, Sarah 127, other characters in the Word of God, perhaps long lives by our measure as well. Even though those long years may there be listed, they still are so brief. And in comparison to eternity, they are as nothing. Job affirmed several times in his book the brevity of his own life. Do we not read statements like Psalm 90 verse 12? Where we are urged the following statement, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. What time is it? We're inching closer to that answer. We've seen many types of times discussed. But would you consider perhaps another with me? And maybe this one is one of the saddest of all. In looking at the nature of time, I've tried to help us see using the scriptures that we each face a multitude of times. Trouble, temptation, health, crisis, affliction. But notice the Bible on many occasions makes reference to an evil time. E-V-I-L. What is an evil time? In Amos 5, verses 12 and 13, Micah, we also read in both chapters 2 and 3 of this scene. In fact, even Paul mentioned it in Ephesians 5. What is an evil time? The days are evil, Paul said. Of course there, he didn't mean the inherent character of the days that God has made were evil, nor did he have reference to the fact that each day as it comes is by its nature evil. It's evil when men choose to live in a way that's sinful. And when that seems to be characteristic of the masses and the vast majority of the time, that's the type of days in which Amos lived. In fact, would you read with me one of the passages found in that book? Amos 5, verses 12 and 13. As we read these, we'll notice the sentence relates to the very society and culture in which Amos lived. God speaking says, For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins. They afflict the just, they take a bribe, and they turn aside the poor in the gate from the right. Therefore the prudent shall keep silence in that time, for it is an evil time. Oh, how marvelously mention was made of their sins and their iniquities. That's what made the time evil, by their choices, 
by their wicked selections of what they would fill their day with and their behavior and their countenance toward others as they, in fact, did not do that which was just, as they did not do that which was proper and prudent and right, an evil time. Do we live in an evil time? Can we face an evil time? Many times through the centuries, it may well be such that the days could properly be described as evil. When it seems as though the giant tendencies of human culture were toward a way opposite from God, we in our land face a time that at least partially may be described as evil. When so many decisions that seem to affect many and laws that are enacted seem to be opposite to the direction of God's will. An evil time. Decisions may come upon you and me that must be made where we must oppose that which man teaches. For is it not still the case? We ought to obey God rather than men. Acts 5.29 The days are evil. That sets the stage for Hosea 10 verse 12. Brother Colonel read that just a few moments ago. I would direct your attention again to it, for Hosea had the answer. It's still the answer for what time is it. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, till he come and rain righteousness upon you. It's time to seek the Lord. Shouldn't Hosea's cry rain clearly and loudly still today? Is it not still the case that that is the ultimate answer to what time is it? It's time to seek the Lord. As we look forward to a coming year, none of us know specifically what things shall come our way that year. We can't read the future. We don't have crystal balls. But this much we know. We must walk by faith. If we are to be pleasing to God, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, and above all things else concerning time, this we know. It's time to seek the Lord. That's true individually. When you and I make our decisions and our course of conduct for the coming year, it's time to seek the Lord. In our families, as we set before them the teachings and instruction and examples that's ours, we know it's time to seek the Lord. With regard to the course of affairs of our nation, it's time to seek the Lord. For only when that time is appreciated... Shall we avoid the time of the Lord's vengeance? Shall we avoid the greatness of the time of national trouble? And it's only then that we shall feel the time of the Lord's health upon us. It's time to seek the Lord. Some of the statements found in that very verse that we just read together are worthy of just a bit more attention. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. If you and I were to thus become more specific, what can I do to follow or make it a time of seeking the Lord. Let's become a bit more specific. Let's not leave that in such general terms. What may I do as an individual, a person desirous of knowing the time of the Lord, to make it so? First, sow it so in righteousness. It comes with a character of incorporating righteousness into my life and letting that emanate forth moment by moment and day by day. Now, what is righteousness? Psalm 119, verse 172 reminds us that God's Word is righteousness. It comes with a healthy dose of the Word of God and using that to fill our thoughts, our actions, and our words. If we are to notice, then it's time to seek the Lord. It must start with allowing the Lord to talk to us. He does that through His holy and divine will. He does that through His divine will. It's time to seek the Lord. What else? did God say through Hosea? 
reap in mercy. When one sows in righteousness, there will come a harvest. Did not we read a promise of that in Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8? Where there we understand that those who sow will in fact reap what they sow. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. But notice, those that sow to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. When you and I sow in righteousness, we shall reap in mercy. And that which we shall reap will be the character of the fact it's time to seek the Lord. He goes on to say, break up your fallow ground. There's work to be done. There's things that must be accomplished. Intentions alone are not sufficient. Break up your fallow ground. Put your trust and faith and confidence in action. Break up your fallow ground. A harvest will come by the blessing of God. And it's at that point, he says, it's time to seek the Lord. Those kinds of sentiments are those that we'll use to conclude our lesson this morning. And might we note that they are reiterated in the New Testament. Paul said that we should redeem the time because the days are evil. Even in Paul's day, he described the influence as being so full of evil. And he said they were to redeem, that is to make the best use of and buy back for productivity the time. We do not know whether God shall bless us with any or all of 2008. We do know that as we make plans and look forward to those events, it's time to seek the Lord. That must begin by being a Christian. Are you a Christian today? If so, you know then that you have the blessing of God with you and on your behalf. And you know that in the time of trouble, in the time of temptation, there is a place to which you can go to find aid, to find solace, and to find comfort. But friend, if you aren't a Christian, where can you go? You still are trying to fight it on your own. And Satan is too powerful for you. You shall not be able to beat him by yourself. Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 reminds us still, that verse in the next, that we must rely on three things. The Word of God, the blood of the Savior, and the character of not being willing to die simply apart from Him. Today, if you need to respond as you believe Jesus, repent of your sins, confess the name of Jesus, and be baptized, you at that point would be added to the Lord's body, His church, Acts 2.47. At that point, you could feel the assurance of knowing it's time to seek the Lord. But if you have become a Christian and have not been faithful, you knew once about seeking the Lord, but you no longer do. Now you're seeking someone else. Come back to the Lord's side. He is anxiously waiting for you to come to your senses just like the prodigal son did and come back home. You can come back home too. It's time to seek the Lord. If we could assist you today in either of those ways, let us do that even now while together we stand and while we sing.